This morning, we were just about to leave for church when I looked at the clock in the kitchen, which is radio clock, and realized it was an hour earlier than I thought, so <laughs> it's nearly lunchtime for me. Please tell me I'm not the only person here that did that. It's anybody else. It's just me. You can pray for me later. Well, it's great to uh, uh, be here this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Jonathan. I'm uh, part of the leadership team here. And we're going to be continuing today to look uh, at our series running through the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the prophet. And we're picking up a theme that runs through the book called Streams in the Desert. Streams in the Desert. It's really about God doing something where there was nothing. It's about God turning up where nothing's going on and making something happen. About God stepping into a barren situation and actually transforming it from a barren desert into a beautiful garden. That's what God's like. That's who we've been celebrating this morning. And today we've come to uh, what for some of us would be a very well-known passage about God's most incredible intervention into the desert of our world. His most incredible act to transform the desert world that we live in. And it's where Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, does an amazing thing. He looks forward in this passage we're going to read 700 odd years to the coming of Jesus. And inspired by the Spirit, he manages to say amazing things about what will happen when Jesus comes. The Gospels give us an account of what happened, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and they're very factual. There's no gory details, even when it comes to the cross. But Isaiah has amazing insight into what is actually going on behind the acts that are recorded in the Gospels. He has amazing insight into its significance and its meaning for us here today. From where we're standing, if you know about Jesus, then when you read this passage, it's probably fairly obvious that it's about him. But the Bible also confirms it. There are about seven references throughout the New Testament to this passage we're going to read. In the Gospels, Jesus himself refers to it about himself. It's in Acts, used to introduce Jesus to an Ethiopian ruler. It's in the epistles. This is all about Jesus. And the passage that I'm going to read to you is quite long, but I, I want to read it all because actually this is part of our worship. This is part of our worship this morning. So I'd encourage you, stick with me as we read it through. Let it be just part of our worship this morning. It's Isaiah 52, starting at the end of Isaiah 52 and reading right through Isaiah 53. This is what Isaiah says 700 years before Jesus was born. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see what they, will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. Who's believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? 
My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him. We looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. and We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. If you're a Christian here this morning, that is an amazing hymn of worship to add on to the worship we've already been bringing to our Savior. What an amazing insight that the Holy Spirit gave to Isaiah. It touches on Jesus' life, his growing up in the Lord's presence like a tender shoot. Touches on the fact he was not what the world expected when he came. Not impressive, not special in any sense. It focuses mostly on his death on the cross, his resurrection, and what it achieved. Something that takes the world by surprise. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. My title is The Glory of the Cross. Jesus, who willingly submitted himself deliberately to crucifixion, one of the most hideous, brutal, shameful methods of execution we've ever come up with. The Romans used it to demonstrate their power over their enemies, to put fear into those who would stand against them. Jesus willingly submitted to it. So, how can there be glory in something so awful? That's a fair question. If you're a Christian, or even if you're not here this morning, how can we talk about the glory of the cross? Why are we singing about the cross? <laughs> how can there be glory in this awful thing? Well, I don't know if it helps you, but I think it helps me. We get a glimpse sometimes 
if we look at events that we understand. If we think about war, sadly, we see a lot of it. War is inglorious. Whatever the films tell you, war is inglorious. There is no glory in war. There's nothing good about war. Throughout the centuries and still today, it brings death and misery and suffering on a massive scale. And yet, sometimes, notably, there in the middle of it all will be someone who by what they do, whose attitude and his actions, they set them apart from everyone else. Individual acts of courage, bravery, sacrifice. And there is a sort of glory in that. It shows who people really are. Don't if you've seen this film which came out recently, Hacksaw Ridge. It's a film of just such a story. It's a film about an American soldier, Desmond T. Doss, who ended up winning the Congressional Medal of Honor despite the fact that he wouldn't carry a rifle and he wouldn't fight. He signed up as a conscientious objector, as a Red Cross, as a medic. And he went onto the battlefield. And on a particularly awful battlefield, the Battle of Okinawa, he rescued 75 wounded men by lowering them down a cliff in the teeth of the battle that was raging with no weapon at his side at all. Amazing. He was ostracized. He was mocked when he joined the army by his friends, but he won their undying affection and respect by what he did. In a battle where nearly 7,500 men died on both sides, his act became something of glory that emerged in the middle of this awful carnage. And we could list lots of other famous acts, men and women in whom we see glory through their motives or their honor or their sacrifice, through what they achieved despite the cost to themselves. You know, I believe there are glimpses in a sense of God's image in us, however broken, glimpses of, of what God is like in us. And yet, of course, the cross is the pinnacle of such acts. The cross is the pinnacle of glory in the midst of something awful. So much greater, so much deeper, achieving so much more than any act of bravery or sacrifice we've ever, ever seen. And this morning, I've just got three headings that I want to look at. The glory of the cross, what it shows us, what it achieves for us, and what it opens up to us. What does the cross show us? What does it achieve for us? And what does it open up to us? First of all, what does it show us? Two things, I think, particularly. I think it shows us God's justice and his love. Not always easy for us to put those together. If we think about, though, our response to injustice, verse 10 of our reading said this, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. This was God's plan in action. Jesus submitting to death on a cross was God's plan in action. How can that be? Well, as I say, I think if we think a little bit again about our response to injustice, I think it's a weak reflection. It's part of the image of God in us. I don't know about you, but you sit and watch on your telly, and if you're not numbed by the scale of it all, which sometimes I feel I am, 
Do you not feel outraged? Do you not look at events like Grenfell Towers? Do you not look at wars that are raging and you're outraged? Do you not look at how some people are treated by others and we're outraged by it? That's wrong, we cry. Yeah, that's wrong. Someone needs to sort that out. Usually not me. Someone needs to do something. Someone needs to pay because that's not right. Now, you imagine a holy God, perfect in all his ways, looking down on my heart and on your heart and everyone else in the whole of the world, on my thoughts, on my actions. God is outraged. God is outraged. Someone must pay. Someone must pay the price. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. That's the, that's the price, basically. We sin, we die. And God would not be just if he ignored that fact. He can't just wink at sin. We wouldn't want him to, would we? Victims cry out for justice, don't they? That's what they do. I want justice. I want this put right. Someone should pay. And we wouldn't want those victims to go unheard by God. Victims cry out for justice. The reality is, we are all of us, both victims and perpetrators. We read, all of us, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own, without exception. If we're honest, I think we know in our hearts we fall short of God's perfect standards. And if he is just, that means we deserve his punishment. Justice demands it. But the good news is that God is not just justice. He is also love. God is just and loving. That's what we've been singing about this morning. And the glory of the cross is what it shows us is the extent of God's love. How far God is prepared to go. They say, don't they, actions speak louder than words. And it is true, isn't it? I used to love that old saying, you know, when all's said and done, there's a lot more said than done. And how true that is of many of us in our society. There's a lot more said than done. But God is a God of action and words. See, true love is not consent, content just to say it, is it? It comes out in actions. Sometimes they're extravagant. Sometimes they're heroic. Sometimes they're sacrificial. When I fell in love with Fran, who's now my wife, I had a real sense, you know, I'm not sure she was very convinced is the truth to begin with. I haven't told her I was going to do this. You can pray for me when I get home. She wasn't really convinced, I don't think. But I tell you what, there was something in my heart that I said to her. I said, I am going to prove to you. I'm going to prove to you that I love you. I'm going to prove to you. And I believe in my own way I did that. She married me. You know, actions speak louder than words. Anybody know what that is? Taj Mahal. I know I didn't go quite that far. 
to be, to be fair, I've got to say, hats off. So this, if you don't know, this is a monument that was built by uh, an Indian ruler in memory of his wife. I mean, how impressive is that, eh? And she was only his third wife as well. So, I mean, yeah. It's a good job the other two had already gone, isn't it? Because there'd have been all sorts of jealousy, no doubt, coming out in that. That's impressive. Love prompts action. We know it, doesn't it? And if that's a symbol of love, and it is world-renowned, this is the symbol par excellence. It is the symbol of love to us. It shows us the extent, the, the lengths to which God is prepared to go. God identifying with us. God becoming like us. That's how far he went. He didn't just sit in heaven and say, that's a bad job down there. He came. He became like us, yet without sin. He experienced what you and I experienced. He was prepared to get involved in the brokenness of our lives and our world. He was prepared to do something about it. This is the symbol that God is prepared to act to solve the problem that our sin has caused. The breaking of our relationship with him. And whether it's the first time you've heard this today, or whether it's the thousandth time you've heard it today, I just want to encourage you in your heart just to worship. It's an amazing thing that God loved us so much that he was prepared to do this. It says in Romans chapter 5, Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. I think that's true. Most of us wouldn't. Someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's specially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still rebels, while we were still enemies. That is what the cross showed us. Greater love has no one than this, that he might die not for his friends, not for those who were nice to him, but for those who hated him, for those who rebelled against him, for those who were his enemies. I am part of the problem. You know, it's not just other people who have a sin problem. That's what we tend to think, isn't it? You see, I, what I really want is I want justice for everybody else and mercy and love for me. <laughs> be honest, don't you? <laughs> I want God to be merciful and loving to me, but he needs to sort these people out and they deserve what they get. No, the reality is all of us have fallen short and we all deserve what we are not going to get now because of Jesus. You know, it's sometimes confusing though, isn't it? And almost contradictory when we find ourselves in life situations and circumstances that cause us to doubt whether God really does love us. If we're honest, that happens. It causes us to think, well, does God really love me? Where we experience things that cause us to wonder. You know, Jesus' death on the cross stands as a permanent, forever, once-for-all reminder. And can I encourage you, when you experience those doubts, and we probably all will at some point, when we experience the thoughts that cause us to wonder, this is where we need to go. This is the thing that says forever that God loves me and you. And that can help us keep our focus. Maybe you need to remind yourself of that this morning. He cannot demonstrate any more clearly 
the fact that he loves you and me. He's does it. He's done it. He shows us his love and his justice together. Secondly, what it achieves for us. You see, the cross is much more than a symbol. I mean, that's, that's level one wonderful. Isn't it good? But actually, there's more. The cross is more than a symbol, more than just an expression of God's love. It's more than, like, it's more than an extravagant bunch of flowers. It actually is uniquely and powerfully effective. It does things. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection change things. You see, because the life that was being sacrificed on that cross was not just any old life. This was God himself poured into a man, fully God, fully man, the perfect life, the spotless sacrifice, the spotless lamb. Just like it says in the Old Testament, when you brought a sacrifice of a lamb, it had to be perfect. You couldn't bring the manky old lamb that you didn't really want to keep. You had to bring the best one, the perfect one. And Jesus is that spotless lamb. That's what John the Baptist says. Look, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, who was rich but became poor. Jesus, who was spotless, becoming dirty. Jesus, who was sinless, becoming sin. Jesus, who was fullness, becoming empty. Jesus, who was without blemish, becoming blemished for us. Jesus, who was king, becoming a servant. Jesus, who was eternal, submitting himself to death. This was no ordinary man on a cross. He became like us, just like us in our humanity, and yet without sin. And so he is an acceptable sacrifice to God. Someone must pay? Someone must pay? Yeah. He is able to pay. Verse 6 of Isaiah 53 we read said this, Yet the Lord laid on him the sin of us all. It says this in verse 5, But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. That's the wonderful truth. All my sin was put on him. Put on him. It was my sin, the passage tells us. My sorrow, my griefs, my rebellion that he took on. So the cross is an end to sin. An end to shame. It's an end to guilt. It's an end to fear. It's an end to rejection. It's an end to condemnation. Got any of those this morning? Got any of those lurking around in your heart? Let me tell you, the cross is the end. The cross is the place where it all comes to an end. You can leave them there. You really can. You can get rid of it. Have you ever experienced something like you've got something you, you've got to do, you really don't want to do, or you don't feel up to doing, or you, you really, you'd rather get out of it any way you could? You ever been there? And have you ever experienced this, where someone comes along and says, I'll tell you what, I'll look after it for you. Have you ever had that? And the relief you get, oh, wow, that's brilliant. 
I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to worry about that anymore. You, they're going to take care of it for me. It's a great relief. You know, actually, the cross is a great relief. All that stuff, I don't have to take care of it anymore. I've got someone who's come along and says, I'll take care of that. That's why we sing. That's why we rejoice. The glory of the cross comes out in the Psalms. He doesn't treat us like our sins deserve. Hallelujah. He doesn't reward us according to the things we've done wrong. Because as high as the heavens are the earth, above the earth, that's how far he's taken our sin away from us. I'm not going to get what I deserve. Well, you don't know me as well as I do. But I tell you that, I don't want what I deserve. I really don't. Maybe you're here this morning. Have you ever felt unjustly treated or accused of something? Ever been robbed of something that was yours and lost it? Ever felt despised by others? Ever felt rejected by others? Ever had people turn away from you, turn their back on you? Ever felt separated from God? Ever felt oppressed or treated harshly or unfairly? Feel you've drawn the short straw in life by the way you look or the where you were born or how you grew up or your education or whatever. You know, if you read this passage again, Jesus experienced all of those. Why? So that he could take on board all that we had. So that he would identify with us and be able to take it on. Jesus, God himself, identifies with us. So that he could carry your burdens. So that the weight of all that would be laid on him. And me and you, we go scot-free. And we can fly. We can fly. We can fly like eagles because he's taken the weight. Verse 4 of our passage said this, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. In the old version, it says this. It's lovely. Surely, surely he has borne our griefs. Somebody who understands someone who can take the weight. Not just a symbol of great love or a symbol of great identification, but a powerful reality that God can take the load off you because he puts it on Jesus. The barrier that separates us from God is broken. In Old Testament language, the curtain's torn in two. There is a welcome for anyone who believes Anyone, any Tom, Dick, or Harry, or whatever female equivalents we have of those, which I can't think of right now. Anyone, you're welcome because of Jesus, if you put your trust in him. Paul says this in Galatians 6, As for me, may I never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. The cross deals death to shame and guilt and all those things. That's what it should do. But if that's the second level of wonderful, there's more. 
there's more good news. And it's this. The cross opens up something wonderful to us. It says in our reading, He, Jesus, will see the suffering of his soul and he'll be satisfied. Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father now in glory, is going to be satisfied by what he sees. And what will he see? He will see his children coming into his inheritance. What an amazing thing. That's level three wonderful, if you're not getting it. It's not that just my stuff was jumped was dumped on Jesus. It's not just that I've managed to get rid of all this bad stuff that I felt. It's not just cathartic. It's not just I feel better for that, even though that's true. The glory of the cross is that it's empty. The glory of the cross is that he paid the price and he rose again. And like we were singing, he overcame. He really did. He overcame. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And in doing that, he went from identifying with us and taking our sin to actually giving us something else, making a way for us, making a way. The great identification turned into the great exchange. Have you come across the great exchange? Basically, I give all my rubbish to him, and he gives me amazing things back. If you know the the parable of the... uh, of the um, prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son comes running back to his father. The father runs to meet him. He throws his arm around him, and the prodigal's got this speech all made up. Oh, I, I'm, I've sinned. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not worthy to be your son. I don't know if you've ever read the story. The father, the father takes no notice whatsoever. He can see it in his actions. He says, come on, calls his servants. Put the best robe on him. Give him a ring. Give him shoes. Throw a party. How inappropriate is that? Really? Do you know what he's done? I don't care what he's done. He's come back home, and I'm going to throw a party, and I'm going to give him the best of all I've got. He didn't just carry our burdens. He gives us what is his. There's a phrase our American cousins use, which I... I think is really good. It's this. God always trades up. God always trades up. Whatever you're going to give to him, you're going to get back something that is way better. He always trades up. Don't leave your junk and stay there. Exchange it for something better. We need to live in the good of the cross, not at the cross. We sing a song. uh, uh, It's a lovely song, actually. And there was a line in it that really struck me. Uh, it says, uh, here at the cross, I find my home. And the first time we sang that, I thought, oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? Because I don't think my home is at the cross. I mean, Jesus isn't there anymore. That's not where I, uh, it's not where I live. But actually, I realized, actually, uh, it helped me. I think it points to our home. It is where we find our home. Let me read you some words from Phil Moore in one of his Straight to the Heart series. He's talking about forgiveness, which effectively is the cross. Forgiveness is not the goal of the gospel. Did you know that? Forgiveness is not the goal of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. It's merely the means by which we receive the good news. The Christian life is no more about being forgiven than my house is about the hallway. It's the entry point. 
It's the entry point, and everyone must pass through it en route to the other rooms of the house. But it's not the destination. We're about to move house soon, I hope, trust in God. And, and when we get there, I hope lots of you will come and visit. They're not all at once because it's not that big. But you'd think it really weird, wouldn't you, if we invite you, oh, come in, it's lovely to see you. And we stood in the hall. That'd be a bit weird, wouldn't it? Oh, it's so good to see you. You'd be, in your head, you'd be going, aren't they going to invite us in? I want to see you around the house, if you're that way inclined. Some are, some aren't. Forgiveness is what brings us into a deep relationship with God. The cross brings us into a deep relationship with God and with his people so that we can dwell with Christ in heaven and Christ can dwell with us on earth through the Holy Spirit. The cross is the only way in, but it's the hallway into the house of God. Don't stay in the hallway. Don't stay in the hallway. Come on in to the house of God. It's finished. Jesus' work is finished, and he sat down at the Father's right hand. We have a salvation to explore. We do. Honest, we do. Jesus came. What did Jesus come to do? It wasn't to bring us escape from death, was it? Although he's done that. Jesus came to bring us life in all its fullness. Life in all its fullness. Romans, 9, uh, Romans 5 says this, And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we'll certainly be saved through the life of his son. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. That's not just people. That's not just souls. Jesus has come to save all that was lost when sin entered the world. He's come to put everything right. He's come to start restoring everything. One day he's going to restore it fully and we're going to be there. We sang it this morning. One day we'll see his face, face to face. One day we'll be with him as he restores everything to the way that in our hearts we know it should be, whether we know him or not. Something I think in all our hearts tells us it's not meant to be like this. But Jesus is restoring all things and it starts right now. Starts right now. It's already started for many of us. You see, we receive what we didn't deserve. We receive what is his. Jesus was punished so that we might be forgiven. Jesus was wounded so that we might be healed. Jesus was made sin with my sinfulness so that I might be made righteous with his righteousness. Jesus tasted death so that I could share his life. Jesus was made a curse so that I could receive a blessing. Jesus endured poverty so that I could be a part of his abundance. Jesus bore our shame so that we could share his glory. Jesus endured rejection, my rejection, the rejection of the world, so that I might find acceptance with the Father. Jesus was cut off so that I could be joined to God. Our old lives were put to death in him so that our new lives might come to life and his new life might come to life in us. 
That's an amazing exchange. That's an offer. You won't get a better offer. Let me tell you this morning, if you're here wondering about what this is all about, I tell you, you won't get a better offer anywhere else than that. It's way better than buy one, get one free. It's an amazing exchange. You know, there's a psalm, Psalm 48, written long before Jesus came. But it has this bit in it where we are encouraged, or they, the Jews were encouraged to walk around Jerusalem, the city of God. Walk around the city of God. Examine its towers and its ramparts. Walk, see what it's all like. I believe that's actually a picture that we should take on. I want to say to you this morning, I think God wants you to walk around this salvation that we've been brought into. Go through the hallway. Explore the house. See what God's salvation is like. Discover new things. What are you discovering in your faith? I find phrases like this in the Bible. Have you found any of these? Fountains of life. Wells of salvation. Springs of joy. Need some joy? Pillars of hope. Rivers of blessing and healing. Arms of love and acceptance. Delights in his presence. Beauty instead of ashes. What a powerful symbol. Your life in ashes, God says he'll take that away and he'll give you beauty. Joy instead of mourning. Mourning? God wants to bring you through into joy. Praise instead of heaviness. Grace and mercy for all that we need. Friends, that's why it's good news. It's really good news. The cross shows us the extent of God's love and his justice. It opens up a way for us through what Jesus has done. All of our stuff is laid on him. And it opens up to us all that he has won for us. It's going to take us a lifetime to discover it. It's going to take us eternity to discover it, to walk through his house, to appreciate it all. But let's not wait until then. We're going to close this morning by breaking bread. And um, I just want you... Oh, let me just say this. I forgot this. There is an open door this morning. You know, if you are a follower of Jesus, or if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to pick God up on his offer, the door is open wide. That's what the cross has done. And you might feel maybe you don't belong, or you don't know enough, or whatever. God wants you to know that you're welcome here this morning. You're welcome into God's house. Put your trust in Jesus. Dump your stuff and get some of his. It's a wonderful, wonderful offer. I want to play a, a song um, just for you to listen to. I'll give the band a break, and uh, it maybe it's a song you know or you don't know. But I want to ask you to do something just as we prepare to break bread. I want to say, have you got something you want to leave at the cross today? Have you got something that you want to offload onto Jesus? Have you got something that you want rid of in your life? then this is the moment where you can do this exchange. But I want to encourage you not just to offload it. I want you to ask God by his Holy Spirit to speak to you as you do that. Just quietly in your heart, 
and say, God, what are you going to give me in exchange for what I'm leaving with you? Because God doesn't want you to go out of here just relieved and empty-handed. He wants to go out, you to go out of here relieved and blessed with the goodness of God. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay, so let's just take a few moments. Uh, I'd encourage you to do that in your heart as the, as the song goes on. Uh, and then just when you're ready, please just come, take some bread and wine. And uh, there are many different facets of breaking bread. This time, I think it's between each of you as an individual and God. Do some business with God. Seek his face. Let me just pray quickly over this bread and wine. Father, we thank you for what this ordinary wine and ordinary bread represents, what we've been talking about this morning, your great sacrifice on the cross. Thank you that you have shown us once and for all your love. Thank you that you have shown us once and for all and dealt with our sin once and for all. And thank you that you have made a way, that the welcome mat is open. Holy Spirit, just move among us now, I pray. And will you touch our hearts? Lord, I want to pray that every person would go out of here with a blessing from you, with something more than they came in from, Lord, something more from your great treasury, from your great inheritance. Lord, Holy Spirit, will you do that right across this room, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.